Money FM 89.3. Best of breakfast. Morning shot. Welcome to Morning Shot. It's Ahmad and Ryan here with you. Now, China's longest holiday break of the year is underway this week, with officials hoping that record tourist travel numbers will help to lift an economy struggling to emerge from its post-pandemic doldrums. Ryan, what comes to your mind when we talk about China's Golden Week? Yeah, Golden Week, as it suggests, is a long stretch of holidays. So like what people do on holidays, mm. go shopping, <laughs> go on tours. So I imagine that is going to be helping China to some degree after, well, a bit of a slump when it comes to its economy. And so maybe we could see record demand for travel and that could help sustain some of the impact of the Asian Games. So this year's Golden Week holiday is poised to become the most vibrant in recent memory. Indeed, but just as China enters its key holiday sales season, we saw a raft of headlines weighing on already frail confidence in its property market. So will this be a chance for China to turn the tide? So more insights, we are going to get them from Erica Tay, Director of Macro Research at Maybank. Welcome to the show, Erica. Good morning, gentlemen. Erica, great having you on. So you are watching China very closely. And based on some of the estimates we have, more than 21 million people are expected to go jet-setting in the space of these 10 days. Do you see this as a bit of a seasonal boost? So I'm just wondering how much weight we should be putting into this current spike in travel. Is this going to be a rebound in travel? Is this going to be sustainable? Well, Golden Week is indeed upon us, um, but I'm afraid it will be a seasonal boost more than a turning point. But then um, it will be an unusually sharp seasonal boost for two key reasons. First, um, as you have pointed out, this is the very first Golden Week post China's reopening. So um, people are raring to travel. And secondly, um, this is what people call the super golden week. Uh, why is that so? Because um, as we all know, the mid-autumn festival moves around, right? And um, this is one of the rare years when the mid-autumn festival runs consecutively to the week-long National Day holiday. So um, this gives uh, the Chinese tourists eight days straight of public holidays. And um, in the past decade, um, this eight-day phenomenon um, only occurred in two other years, um, in 2017 and 2020. And as we all know, 2020 was a bit of a wash. So there is indeed a lot of pent-up demand for overseas vacations. But I have to add that Chinese demand may not uh, stay at that high level after October. And in fact, uh, even during Golden Week, we expect to see that average spend per trip will be lower because the job market is not doing that well and incomes are still not booming on the mainland. But this is where uh, Southeast Asia might benefit because we see that, you know, if Chinese families are tightening their belts, um, but they still want to go out on holiday, they might opt for uh, short-haul destinations, especially in Southeast Asia. And if air ticket bookings uh, up to late September are anything to go by, Malaysia, uh, Singapore and Thailand should expect a 40% rise in China tourist arrivals compared to September. 
Erica, just just dive into China's struggling property sector now. Do you think the Golden Week will be able to spark a long-anticipated revival in home sales in what is proving to be the first key test of whether recent policy support by Beijing is enough to arrest this slump? So since late August, the authorities have been slowly um, introducing some support measures to prop up the property sector. Um, They've included cutting down payments, cutting interest rates on home loans, uh, as well as relaxing the criteria for eligible home buyers in key cities. And, you know, this is uh, one month in, we are gradually seeing results. So already uh, September home sales by the top 100 developers in China are up 18% from August. So that is good news. But then they're still down about 30% compared to the same time last year. But we're seeing uh, things bottom out. Is there going to be a revival? I don't think that um, lower mortgage rates um, are enough to sway home buyers because uh, they see home prices continuing to fall since mid 2021. So I think um, we're in an environment where home buyers are not certain if their biggest investment will appreciate in value. So it might not move the needle and lead to a longer term revival. Yeah, this is closely watched what's happening in the property sector, Erica. So, latest headlines, more bad news. If you look at what's playing out for Evergrande, its founder, Hui Kang Yan, is under investigation, possibly involved in criminal conduct, apparently on suspicion of transferring assets offshore while struggling to complete unfinished projects. When we look at what's playing out for China's property space, how much of a parallel can we draw to what happened to Lehman Brothers back in 2008 in the US? Of course, China is a huge property market for investors worldwide. There is a lot of pain, but uh, compared to Lehman, this property downturn is not systemic. So what we mean by that is that this is not a crisis that is threatening to bring down the banks or the banking system. Uh, Why? Because uh, the Chinese authorities have done a pretty good job in the last eight years in insulating the banks from real estate risks. Policymakers saw risks in this sector and they have been trying to get the banking sector to slowly wind down the level of loans that they've been giving to developers so much so that uh, right now a little more than five percent of total chinese bank loans are loans to developers so um, we think that you know this is not going to be like another lehman because it is not going to lead to a financial crisis Okay, Erica, you mentioned that it's not a crisis threatening to bring down banks or the banking system. But if this crisis is left unchecked, do you potentially see any spillover effects that could seep through to other markets around the world? Yes. So the property sector in China is not just an isolated sector. Uh, It is also related to as much as 30% of China's economy because there are other industries feeding into this sector, including trade-related industries, including steel and cement manufacturing. So I think, you know, if the property downturn continues to play out, uh, we will likely see China importing uh, fewer commodities and products 
from the rest of the world. So the trade channel is a major channel of uh, transmission. Um, and then the second channel, and, and we were talking about this, would be wealth effects, right? So as much as 70% of Chinese household wealth is held in their property investments. So if they see the paper value of their property going down, they're going to be less willing to spend on big ticket items such as travel. All right, we are in conversation with Erica Tay. She is the Director of Macro Research at Maybank. So Erica, like you point out, a bit of a crisis in confidence and this is through a couple of things they are worrying about, including employment issues. So if you look at the youth unemployment picture, we are seeing record high numbers and it's even harder to make sense of it these days because the government has stopped issuing data around that front. So what's the type of policy help that you think China can do? to address this structural issue? So we're not so much um, focusing on youth unemployment in particular, um, but we're also quite concerned about China's overall job market. So um, just just to give you um, the latest PBOC survey findings, uh, some 44% of respondents saw the job market deteriorating um, and then um, 45% saw the job market staying the same while only 11% saw the job market improving. So this doesn't uh, bode well. Uh, And the reason is um, the private sector, especially uh, SMEs, are actually the biggest source of job creation in China. And we gather that business confidence is still weak So uh, therefore, small businesses are not expanding. They're not hiring. Um, As to what the government can do, um, I don't think the government can uh, step in and totally fill the void left by the private sector and create um, enough jobs. But what it can do is to create the right environment for the private sector to thrive and to want to expand again. So I think conducive policies will go a long way in encouraging the private sector to hire again. Erica, I believe some of these policies that policymakers have introduced include offering subsidies to encourage private sector companies and state-owned enterprises to hire more. How effective has that strategy been thus far? I think that they're slowly working uh, through the system. Um, But, you know, for private sector, they have been scarred uh, during um, the last three years of COVID policies. So I think it takes time for them to uh, rebuild their confidence and also to rebuild their financial reserves to be able to invest again. All right, Erica, thanks so much for your time today. We've been chairing with Erica Tay. She's the Director of Macro Research at Maybank. Erica, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. Stay Money FM 89.3. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at audio.sg or download the audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O, audio at the App Store and Google Play.